Welcome to the Green Zone Podcast, the show that teaches oil and gas executives how to take command of their finances and live in the green. Your host, Jeff Green, from Green Financial Group, will be your financial guide, all while giving you a tour of the most beloved and best-kept secret spots around Houston, Texas. Now, on to the show. The financial gymnastics needed to save for school may involve 529 plans. Jeff Green and Lauren Smith have a guest who knows the ins and outs of these plans, the pros and the cons. And you will also learn how these can actually be used as part of your estate planning. Jeff, tell us about Ryan White. Well, we're really happy to have Ryan with us today. Ryan is with our good friends over at Columbia Threadneedle, been there since 2012, where he serves as the Director of Product Management, responsible for our topic today, 529 plans. Sounds like the perfect person yeah. to talk to. He also, get this, what graduated from you know University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Ooh. Yeah, so I'm just going to go ahead and say congratulations there, Ryan. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> I was, I'm a Cougar. I'm a U of H Cougar. We got knocked out by Villanova. I know. When, as the time of this recording, it's kind time, of yeah. around Final Four time. Yeah, you're right. So, so we're, yeah. you know, we're really back. Gentlemen, excuse me here. and lady, excuse me, New Jersey, St. Peter's. God, amazing. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was pulling for them. I really was. Yep. St. Peter's. Um, it's about 30 minutes from here. So I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Just had to say. That's okay. Congratulations. What a great run they had. They Unbelievable. Did. Unbelievable. So anyway, yes, it is. What day is this? Who it's, even knows? Who knows It's anymore? March 28th, right? So this won't come out. It goes through a you know, week or two of some. By the time this comes out, we will have a Final we'll Four a champion. Final four. And I just want to add, I will be at the Final Four. I'm, I'm taking my boys to the Final Four in New Orleans. It's kind of a kind of our thing. It's a Christmas present to them. So really, so the, next podcast, you'll give us an update. <laughs> I'll give you an update. So anyway, Ryan, the reason you're here. We're going to talk about 529 plans today. So let's start with just the basics. What is the 529 plan? What's it used for? And, you know, just let's get a general uh, discussion going about that first. Yeah, certainly. So, you know, first of all, thanks for having me. Go Heels, as you already said. Um, you know, excited for the opportunity. Don't recall there. saying that, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, so a, fi a 529 plan, you know, similar to other vehicles, we have this uh, knack in financial services of na naming uh, things for their specific reference in the tax code. 529 is certainly no different, but a Section 529 plan is simply a way to save for uh, what used to be college expenses, but now really is a, is a way to save for all education-related expenses. The first programs uh, started back in the late 90s and early 2000s. You know, we've now had a couple of decades of 529 programs, and they've certainly come a long way, but it is quite simply a tax-advantaged way to save for the cost of education. Right. So, I mean, I've got, I have three boys. I've got 529 plans for all of them. And my understanding of them is, you know, you say all things education. I, I, I pay their uh, room and board if they need a new computer certainly books, tuition, all those kinds of things. And the other thing, I've had questions asked, like, what about transportation, Jeff? Can you buy a car? Is it like, I, I know these things have to be, I guess, challenged with the IRS at some point, because the, the rules early on with these were not real clear, as I'm sure you well know. But like, what, like a car, for example, is that coverable? So typically, uh, education expenses don't include um, things like transportation. In fact, transportation is one of the specific inclusions in the Internal Revenue Code and, and the guidance around 529 programs. What is included as a qualified education expense, though, 
uh, includes anything tuition and fee related that's required for attendance, room and board, as you just mentioned, even off-campus housing up to the cost of living on campus when we're talking about college. Computers were made a permanent qualified expense a few years ago. Software, access to the internet, all of which if, if that's primarily used by the student, and even ex, uh, expenses related to special needs or, or equipment for a special needs student if necessary to attend. So when we're talking about college expenses, uh, certainly Pretty much anything the, the college or university can charge you for that's required for attendance, uh, you can use your 529 to pay for it. You know, more recently, we've actually seen 529 expanded uh, thanks to some legislation over the last few years, which has opened up uh, the use of these programs for things like K through 12 education, where you can now pay for public, private, or religious uh, K through 12 a tuition expense up to $10,000 a year from a 529. You can also use your 529 to pay for apprenticeship programs if that apprenticeship program is uh, registered with the Department of Labor. So again, what really started out as a, an exclusive college savings and funding vehicle really has turned into more of a, a holistic education planning vehicle that can be used uh, you know, from the time your student is five years old, really until um, whenever they decide to stop pursuing education, what, whatever age that may be. And so when it comes to education, how much can you contribute to the Bob Toy non-plans? Really, like they, you, you, you put in after-tax dollars, and then those dollars grow tax-deferred, correct? Correct. And what is provided that, we, that the proceeds are used for you know, education and the way you defined it, those earnings are tax-free at that point. Is that correct? That's correct. That's correct. So you're contributing after-tax dollars. It grows tax-deferred. Of course, you know, taxation being one of our greatest impediments to wealth accumulation and 529s are providing a, a solution to help overcome that with, with providing access to tax deferral. And then ultimately, as you said, if you use those uh, funds for qualified higher education expenses, uh, then all of that comes out tax-free, including the earnings. Now, so I think one of the concerns out there is, you know, if we have the 529 plans and we are also uh, looking for financial aid, say the, 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 the FAFSA, right, uh, in that process, does having that 529 account hurt or help? Uh, what does it do to getting financial aid? Yeah, certainly, certainly. So, you know, the, when we talk about financial aid, the, the thing I like to remind people is that first and foremost, especially needs-based financial aid, as you mentioned, the FAFSA, uh, the biggest driver or determinant in that process uh, really comes down to how much money you make and not how much money you have. So before I would even answer the question of how does a 529 impact it, you know, I would remind folks that, you know, income is going to be the biggest driver in, in that equation. Uh, all things being equal, uh, you would be better off to have a lower paying job and more money to your name than you would be the other way around, specifically uh, when we're talking about financial aid. You know, that said, assets do impact that equation, and 529 plans are actually considered in most cases as an asset of the parent uh, when we're talking about needs-based financial aid. So they do count. However, the nice thing about a 529 is it doesn't count any more than any other type of non-qualified asset 
that you might have, like a checking account, a savings account, a, a, a traditional brokerage account, for example. And the maximum those types of assets are considered for financial aid is only up to 5.6%. So obviously for easy math, if you had $100,000 in your 529 account, only $5,640 of it uh, would be considered eligible for college use with the current needs-based uh, financial aid formula or FAFSA formula uh, that people are familiar with. It's also uh, worth noting that grandparent-owned 529 plans are not asked about on the FAFSA application at all. Uh, the FAFSA process only asks for uh, income and, and asset information from both parents and students, but it doesn't ask for information uh, from those outside the household or outside of that family unit. So, you know, grandparent ownership of a 529 represents a great opportunity, uh, not only to save for a very important goal, but also to really keep those assets completely out of that financial aid calculation. So now that my kids are in college, I should sell the business, quit my job, and give everything away so I can actually afford to send them to school. You have to give it away. It's about income, not assets. <laughs> okay, so I so quit. So just quit my job, right? That that what I need to do? Right, right. From a purely financial aid <laughs> standpoint, I'd I'd have to recommend you quit your job. So can <laughs> grandparents and parents, you know, is there a limit to the amount of people that can have a five twenty nine plan for a specific child? No, generally there are no limits to the number of 529 plans that can be established and can be established for the same beneficiary. Beneficiary is the term we use for uh, the student or child named on a 529 account, uh, but it's a little bit of a, uh, of a misnomer. Obviously, we tend to think of beneficiary as the person who's going to, you know, said asset when we pass away, but the beneficiary on a 529 is quite simply the person that we can ultimately make qualified distributions for or the future college student maybe. Um, but certainly there is no limit to the amount of accounts that can be established for that, for that student. And uh, in, along those lines, grandparents and parents could contribute to accounts that they own individually for the same student or even contribute to the same account uh, for the same student. So there is no rule that says you have to own the 529 in order to be able to make contributions to it. Uh, and certainly 529 plans uh, represent a really good opportunity for uh, crowdfunding, if you want to call it that. So if you have a plan that, you know, multiple people have contributed to, have a nice balance, you use it on some qualified expense, um, educational expenses, but then now college is over and there's money left over, what happens to that money? Can you get it back? Can it be transferred to another family member? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so you really have three options uh, as an account owner of a 529 account. When, when you are coming into a scenario of, okay, well, what happens if I don't need or, or may not use this money for education? Of course, the first option that you have is you can change the beneficiary or change the student on the account to anyone who is a member of the family of the current beneficiary. So oftentimes this is either your child or your grandchild, maybe a niece or a nephew, uh, and the member of the family is defined in the tax code as any lineal descendant of that person. Uh, it also includes aunts, uncles, cousins, and blended family members as well. So a pretty big umbrella of who the new beneficiary or new student that you can name. And that's, that's as simple as swapping one name for another. And you can actually do that as often as you need to without any tax cost penalty or fee. So that would be option one. I, I take 
uh, money from uh, my, my son and give it to my daughter, or I take it from my son or daughter and change it to my niece or nephew. Option number two would be to simply wait. Uh, one of the great things about 529 accounts, especially when we compare them to other types of tax-advantaged accounts or things like IRAs, for example, is that 529 accounts have no required minimum distributions, uh, no time limits, no age limits, no income limits, et cetera, that impact them. So you can simply wait. You have no requirement to use the funds when, the, when, say, the student reaches a certain age or when you reach a certain age as an account owner. And you're earning tax-deferred growth of your investment for the entire time that you have your 529 account. So, you know, your son or daughter that either graduated uh, and, and has money left over may decide to go to grad school. Or maybe you have an idea to change the beneficiary, but you haven't determined who that is yet. Or maybe you had a, a graduating senior from high school who didn't attend college right away and decides to go back after a few years. Whatever the case may be. Um, you can simply wait. If you don't need the money, leave it in the 529, continue to grow those assets on a tax advantage basis, uh, and make an another decision uh, when, you reach, when you reach that decision. The last option, of course, is I can do a non-qualified distribution. I pull the money out of the 529 for something unrelated to education, and I pay taxes and possibly a 10% penalty, but only on the earnings portion of my account. I'm never taxed or penalized on the contributions that I made. And in the unfortunate circumstance that I actually experienced uh, perhaps bad markets or poor investment return, um, if I don't have any earnings, then there would be no tax or penalty associated with non-qualified use. So I certainly have options as the account owner really to navigate any circumstance in terms of using both qualified or perhaps non-qualified. Yeah, so I, I'm a huge believer in 529s. I, I think there are great; these are great vehicles for college planning. And I'm also a big advocate for college planning. And I didn't really get that way until I put my kids through school, right? So now I've got one grad, I got a freshman and a, and a senior at UT. And I have another one going into UT in the next year or so. So I'm going to have at least two boys at UT for the next six years, maybe six, seven years, whatever it is. And I'm a, it's not, it's, you know, it's a all in, right? Tuition, room, board, all that stuff. It's about 60 grand a year per kid. And that's not cheap. So if you're listening to this and you've got small kids, Start now. putting money away now and put it in a 529 plan. I did UTMAs and 529s. The 529s, I think, are great, great vehicles. And even if you can only save a few hundred dollars a month Absolutely. in the early years, just get it saved, Make put it on autopilot, yeah. get it in there, and that will start to grow, especially if you start when the kid's born and yeah. 18 years I, You know what? Now. It's like, it's like a, a great, you know, send a card out to like grandma, grandpas, and aunts and uncles, you know, hey, Rather than send me another pair of baby booties, maybe put, you know, 20 bucks in it or hundred, whatever it is. I mean, that's a great, great gift. It will pay huge dividends later on. I mean, you know, it, it, Ryan, you know, any thoughts on that? I mean, that's, I mean, obviously you got to, you're the 529 expert for, I mean, you got to think they're probably a pretty good vehicle, I would think. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, I think when you're, when you're talking about uh, saving for education, there's, it's the best thing on the street. You know, there's nothing better than a 529. It's really the only thing that was ever created for the express purpose of helping people save for higher education. Right. Um, 
you know, even outside of that, you know, there certainly is value, again, in the ability to earn tax deferral with no time limit, age limit, income limit, et cetera, where you often might earn out of the ability to participate in other similar vehicles. Um, you also have the ability to contribute significantly more to 529 plans than you can uh, traditionally to other vehicles as well. So they're, again, a really great opportunity uh, to uh, really accomplish something that most people are probably concerned about. I think most people can agree that education planning and, and ultimately paying for the cost of college is something that they're pretty concerned with. And, you know, 529 is really a great solution to that. And not to mention, you know, carries with it a lot of other benefits. Yeah, absolutely. So what about, you know, potential tax benefits? So gift tax, estate tax, are there benefits that really set a 529 apart? Yeah, there's the, aren't there some estate planning opportunities here? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, some of the lesser known features of 529 plans really, I believe, are the most impactful. Certainly 529s, as we've already said, can be great tools in helping us reach that education savings goal. Uh, but when we think about legacy planning and estate planning, 529s offer a lot of the same features that we look for in other potentially more expensive or complicated vehicles like a trust, for example, uh, at a much lower cost, a much easier uh, uh, process to get started and certainly can be a really great addition to anyone's estate plan or, or legacy planning efforts. 529s are unique in that contributions are considered completed gifts to the student or, or to the beneficiary named on the account, but the account owner actually maintains daily access and control over the balance and has the ability to take a distribution of those assets at any time. So when you think about that in the context of, you know, normally when I give something away and I use my annual gifting exclusion or remove that from my estate, I give up my beneficial interest in that asset. 529s are a real have your cake and eat it too, where I can fund the account, position it to grow tax deferred. The act of funding it is a completed gift. So the assets are removed from my estate, removed from the probate process. They're growing tax deferred. And I can even name a successor owner, someone other than the designated student or beneficiary to inherit that account uh, when I pass away. So I really get to exact control over the account, both in the ability to take it back if the student maybe doesn't do what I thought they were going to do, but also even from a legacy per perspective in terms of leaving that account specifically for my heirs. That's really interesting. I love that. So let me ask you this. So let's say I do that, right? I, I create a 529 and I put, what is, what is the exclusion? We're at 16,000 a year. Yeah. Or, but you're talking about the, the estate to our, the million dollar state tax. What are, you, what are you mentioning there? Yeah. So there's, so there's a couple of things at play here. So again, when I fund the account, the only limit to the amount of money I can put in a 529 is really what I would argue as a soft limit. Um, because the contribution qualifies or, or meets the criteria for a completed gift, I'm limited to that annual gifting exclusion, which is $16,000 a year now in, in, two, in 2022. If I'm married and file a joint return, and I don't have to be happily married, I just have to be married, uh, I and a spouse can contribute that same amount uh, for a total of 32 thousand dollars and that's on a per beneficiary basis so i can do that for as many beneficiaries uh, as i may want to fund an account but there's more so 529s have a unique forward gifting provision which allows someone to contribute five times that annual amount in a single year 
without generating a taxable gifting event. So again, under normal circumstances, if I were to uh, give someone or um, fund an account to a higher degree than what the annual exclusion allows me to do, I as the uh, giver or contributor would be subject to gift tax on the excess gift. Not the case in a 529 where I'm actually able to prorate that over a five-year period, which allows me, again, if I file a joint return to put up to $160,000 in a 529 plan, theoretically in, in a single day or a single transaction, which is significantly more than I would be able to contribute uh, or gift in other circumstances. So, you know, if I imagine uh, a set of grandparents or someone who maybe has multiple beneficiaries and has the opportunity to uh, aggressively fund a 529 and really jumpstart that tax deferred investment return opportunity, uh, 529s give me an excellent opportunity to position a sizable amount, again, in an account that's easy to establish, uh, really for the cost of a retail mutual fund. So if you have, let's say you establish this and you, I mean, maybe put a child or something on there and let's say that you know, no longer want that child to receive it. And you can you put yourself as the beneficiary? And then if you do, does that come back to your estate? Right. So you can't give money to yourself. If you named yourself as, a, as the beneficiary, you certainly can do that. And there would be reasons to do it. Uh, you know, if you yourself had any aspirations of using the money qualified for it to pursue education, there certainly could be reasons to uh, name yourself as the beneficiary. But generally, you're not accomplishing anything from an estate perspective. Obviously, if you name someone other than yourself as the beneficiary, then again, those contributions to the account, even though you could pull the money out at any time and use it for anything you want, again, are technically gifted, technically outside of your estate, outside of probate, in most cases protected from creditors uh, and available to pass directly to, again, the successor owner, which can be different than the beneficiary or pass to the beneficiary you know, at the time of your death, whatever your wishes are. But it really gives you a lot of different, again, levers of control that you can pull on. And again, the ability to you know, fund a goal, but leave money available for unexpected events. Again, I have a, a, a true have your cake and eat it too type scenario. That's really interesting. What, what else about 529s do we need to know about? Well, I think the, the obvious question is, well, this sounds really good, but what happens if, you know, the powers that be decide to change the rules? And, and the one thing I would point out is that if you look at the beginning of, of 529 plans back in the early 2000s, again, in the late 90s, uh, there were some limits that don't apply today. So for example, um, you used to be limited to uh, reallocation of your investments within a 529 only to one time per year. That's been increased to two times per year. Uh, we've seen, obviously, the annual exclusion going up, indexed for inflation, and, and so you can contribute even more than you used to be able to. We've also seen, again, more recently that uh, these programs have been expanded instead of restricted in terms of opening them up for use for K through 12 and for apprenticeship programs. So I think the legislative trajectory of 529s uh, is very promising and certainly makes these a vehicle that should not be overlooked. So listeners out there, if you got kids that aren't in college yet, I don't really care what age. Just get it started. Get it going. I mean, it makes a big difference. It really does. And, you know, I think with things like this, it can become, it looks like a big challenge. Oh, I don't have enough money to start a 529. What, I mean, is there a minimum that you could start a 529 with? 
You know, generally most programs have uh, very low minimums or no minimums. Uh, so depending on whether or not you're uh, participating through the services of a financial advisor, or perhaps you're going, you know, directly to your state's sort of uh, public facing uh, website, most programs are going to have minimums in like the $25 range uh, if, if it's not a, a no minimum scenario. So the barrier to entry is very, very low but they are complex uh, investment vehicles. So uh, when you look inside what the 529 has to offer, um, depending on your expertise as an individual, there certainly may be some value uh, in pursuing that 529 with a financial advisor that can offer you, you know, guidance on the investments, uh, help you determine risk tolerance and, and time horizon expectations, et cetera. But certainly access to these vehicles is, is not an issue. That's great. So, I mean, again, got a kid in school, get one going. Also, if you want some estate planning advice on how to use these in estate planning, give us a call here at Green Financial Group. We'll uh, be happy to help you out. Ryan, hey, thanks a lot for being on. We really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, that was great. Thank you for having me. Enjoyed it. Um, right here, don't miss any of Jeff Green and Lauren Smith's podcasts. All you have to do is follow The Green Zone and share with friends and families. Really good episode, folks. Too late for me, unfortunately. Thank you for listening to the Green Zone podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Green Financial Group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Securities offered through Raymond James Financial Services, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Raymond James Financial Services Advisors, Inc. Green Financial Group is not a registered broker or dealer and is independent of Raymond James Financial Services. Jeff Green is the founder of Green Financial Group and is a registered principal of RJFS. The Green Financial Group is located at 6363 Woodway Drive, Suite 625, Houston, Texas, 77057, and can be reached at 713-244-3030. Raymond James is not affiliated with and does not endorse the opinions or services of his guests.